0: Hello everybody and welcome to this BAFTA Q&A for Father, Soldier, Son. Thank you very much for joining us and firstly I want to say my name is Emma Jones. I'm a presenter and reporter for the BBC's global cinema show Talking Movies and I had the privilege of watching this film quite recently which is out on Netflix and also the big privilege of being joined now by the director of producers, Leslie Davis and Catherine Einhorn, coming from Kentucky and New York. Well, here I am sitting in London. Welcome to you both.
1: Thank you, Thank you, you so much. Thank you for having us. We're so honored to be here.
0: Oh, it's a it's a real pleasure. And I'm sure that all of you tuning in this uh, this early evening will have seen this documentary uh, which came out on Netflix, I think about three weeks ago, is, is that right? On the 17th of July. And I was absolutely blown away by it. Quite extraordinary. So I'm I'm really looking forward to asking you some questions and they'll probably last around 45 minutes or rather the duration of the whole Q&A will probably be about 45 minutes but for those of you watching uh, some housekeeping firstly we'd love your questions as we go along so as you're now probably very very familiar with Zoom there is a Q&A function button at the bottom there and as you're watching and as a question occurs to you, please submit it. I shall get to it as quickly as possible. And also one other thing, if you're in need of uh, some closed captions, there is a function uh, button at the bottom of that screen. You can click on that and that should help you as as well. So welcome along and I will start things off. I think, Catherine, I might start with you because I believe this journey started in 2010 and you were first on it slightly ahead of Leslie. So maybe you can just tell me a little bit about the documentary and why uh, Brian Eich became such a fascinating subject.
1: Yeah, yeah, it started with a team of us at the New York Times um, in 2010 when President Obama was doing his troop surge to Afghanistan, so sending in an additional 30,000 U.S. troops to try and bring the war to an end, right? We had already been at war with Afghanistan for nine years at that point. And Brian was one of many uh, soldiers that we profiled. We, we took one battalion and we followed them over the course of their year-long deplo- deployment. So it was a year-long series um, in print articles and multimedia, and um Brian was you know just one of many soldiers but when we spent time with his boys in Wisconsin you know of course they had had to go to Wisconsin to be with his with their uncle while he was deployed um you know they were just so captivating like they were just so honest and reflective about their experiences um and Brian himself you know then when he came home I, I met him once I met him you know in that scene where, where in the airport they run the boys run and tackle him that 's when I met Brian for the first time. Our military affairs reporter had met him in Afghanistan and thought, "Huh, this is a single dad. This could be interesting to you know see what what, what is what is that family 's experience like so um, You know, he was such a charismatic, interesting, surprising guy, very macho and tough in some ways, but also willing to be reflective and vulnerable in really interesting ways. So they were great characters, the family. They were just great characters. And of course, you know, a couple months after his leave, he goes back, he's wounded, he fights to keep his leg. Just from the beginning, it was one thing after another with this family in terms of like twist and twist and twist and things that we couldn't have predicted. Um, And so in 2014, when he... Kind of gave up on his fight to keep his leg um you know it, it seemed like wow we could use this as a spine to really dig deeper at first we were looking at how how does this father's deployment affect these boys and this family and now we had a chance to look at you know in 2014 what is the aftermath of his service how does that ripple through his family and that's when i begged leslie to join me
0: and leslie of course you're also in the new york times in fact this is really by the New York Times, isn't it, this whole, this whole production. Leslie, what did you think that it had for all the the elements of a, of a film? What intrigued you?
2: Um, yeah, so I'm definitely always drawn to the stories of families and um, particularly the same thing that captivated Kat, captivated me and that was these two little boys that were so reflective about their experience with their dad away at war and then injured. Um, and also Brian who, had once been a little boy himself, and you could see how his experience at their age had impacted his role as their father and and, and then was handing down some of the values he'd himself grown to his boys. Um, It was really interesting.
0: For either one of you, maybe you could just explain. I think we do have military service families in the UK they seem a lot rarer in the US and having, you know, spent a lot of time in the US, I'm, I'm just aware of the, the gratitude and the honor that is often given to US servicemen, you know, including for example, a small example in airports, you know, where regular announcements are made that they have special facilities, that kind of thing. So for, for either one of you, maybe you could just really describe what um, generational military service means to America.
1: It's definitely, definitely, you know, a, a tradition in this country. There are military families, and that is, you know, handed down from one generation to the next in, in many families here. Um, I also think that in the U.S., there is um, a different kind of... Um, sort of patriotism than, I, than I, I've seen in the UK. You know, My mother um, was from a little village in Wales and I spent my summers there growing up. So I've spent a lot of time, enough time in the UK that I'm not allowed to donate blood here because they say, if you've spent this you know, mad cow disease, I'm like, they won't accept my blood. So I'm British in that sense. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I remember my grandma, my Welsh grandma coming and visiting us and going to a school assembly and everyone stood for the Pledge of Allegiance and sang, you know, the Star-Spangled Banner. And she was quite moved, actually. You know, that struck her. That was very strange to her. She 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 commented on it and 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 hadn't experienced something like that. And she thought it was quite beautiful. Um, you know, I'm not putting a value judgment. As a journalist, you know, Leslie and I are really just trying to create a window into um, a family and a culture in the U.S. But I do think that it's not only the military service, but it's also these ideas of national identity and patriotism that are quite different here, I think.
0: Just a reminder to those of you watching that you can post your your questions. Leslie, I just really wanted to to ask you as well that one of the things that struck me about the character of Brian, uh, he doesn't really question his, his service or his allegiance in a way, or his role. In, in going to war, you know, we never see that. Maybe maybe it's in some of the offcuts. I don't know, but we never see that, um, we never see that kind of questioning, do we?
2: Well, there, actually there's one moment at the, almost at the end of the film where Brian does reflect on whether or not his service in Afghanistan was worth it, or like, what did it mean? Because the town square that he had patrolled as a soldier there had been taken by the Taliban and the US was not fighting to take that space back. Um, so he did at a certain point start to wonder, what were we doing there? And I think that a lot of U.S. soldiers have. I, I was talking to someone, um, a friend of mine that I graduated from high school with, actually joined enlisted in the Air Force right after school. And um, I mentioned this to him, and I said, you know, of course he's very proud of his service, and and he entered, as you're saying, he entered without asking many questions about why. just think it's something he knew he was supposed to do. So I think he started that way. But then my friend that I was talking to has said that any soldier who leaves Afghanistan and doesn't wonder what they were doing there, um, uh, they weren't paying attention. And so I, I think that you do see Brian contend with that at some point. But in the beginning, he just knew that that's what he had signed up for. And that was his job and his duty.
0: Katrin, you were nodding along there. Was there anything you wanted to add?
1: No, I, th- I think that you know, for it's really about these values that that Brian had um, internalized himself at a young age, and that he felt like it was um, to be a good person and to be of service. It was sort of it was his duty to pay, pass down um, these values to his sons, and you know, you saw it in them when they were the, in 2010 when they were seven and twelve. You know, and they were struggling. So they were just so um, traumatized. By his absence, you know he was their only pa- the only parent in their lives, and, and he 's now fighting in a war, and they know that he could get killed and they, It was so terrifying to them and yet they were trying so hard to be brave because this is what they had been told that they were supposed to do
0: it 's this idea of manhood isn 't it and I think it 's manhood applied everywhere, really, not just in America, but that really did strike me that for, for Brian and Isaac and Joey, they were sometimes letting their emotions come through and yet they were very quickly checking themselves because this was not the idea of, of how a man is supposed to behave,
1: is that right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And, and Isaac in particular, I mean, both of them, but um, Isaac really just took it. Early on, he was just got really good at pushing those emotions down and pushing those emotions down. And um, feeling that numbness now, when we did our exit interview with him, I mean, le- so much so that you know it was quite a different um, interviewing him was very different when he was 16 and 17 than when he was you know 12 and 13. That was a really marked difference. And then um, when we went to do the exit interview, um, it was just like he had. There, there was like this door that opened up inside him. And he wanted to tell us about how he was depressed. Like, um, I mean, we, we did barely had to ask him any questions and he, he, he wanted to pour his heart out to us. And so that was a really interesting thing. In a way, it was like his depression that allowed him to kind of access these feelings again um, for the first time in, in many years.
0: I guess the role of a documentarian is to be
1: objective, to step back,
0: to let the reportage tell the story. But Leslie, was there ever a point when you, for example, might want to step in and almost save the family from themselves and some of the things they were saying, or how hard was it for you to to remain objective?
2: I think, especially given the amount of time that we spent with this family, it was was harder than it is on an average assignment. Um, You know, one of the great things about being a journalist is that you just get to learn from people. You get to watch them and have these curiosities about their lives and then learn in a way that if you're having an argument with a family member over the holidays about something you believe or something political, um, at least for myself, I find myself, you know, I, I don't think people learn as much in those settings because you have so much you want to say. Um, so in these cases, we, uh, with the family, when we watched some of the harder things that they were going through, um, I would say it was incredibly hard sometimes not to interject with what I was thinking or feeling or my opinion on something. Um, And yeah, it was a challenge.
0: Just to break off for a moment because we've got a question, it is anonymous, but they say congratulations on an incredible and moving film. How many years did you film in total and how did you decide when to end the film?
1: Thank you. Um, It started in 2010. um, So there was filming in 2010 and 2011. And then, um, you know, that project at the New York Times that started this whole thing stopped. It was a year-long series following all these soldiers. You know, Brian was only one of those. And, um, but when we just, you know, Brian, at at, at the last time that we had been with Brian, he really had all these goals, right? He wanted to keep his leg. He wanted to stay in the army. He wanted to stay in the infantry. He didn't want to take a desk job because that was not, how he saw himself. He wanted to prove the doctors wrong and run again. And in 2014, all that had fallen to pieces. And so, and he had decided to get his leg amputated. And so, you know, as journalists, like we always, I mean, you know, there are always a million um, not a million, many stories that you just leave behind. Like right now, you know, I have these COVID doctors that I've been talking to, you know, and interviewing them. And then, you know, two months later, you're like, God, I wonder how that doctor's doing. I wonder how those Syrian refugees are doing. I wonder, and, and in this case, we got to go back, right? We got to go say, oh, here's this big event in this family's life, let's go back and see how they're doing. And then, you know, the story just kept progressing with so much, you know, so much plot, frankly, incident after incident after incident that, um, we just, we just kept going. And ultimately, the film is shot from you know, 2010 to 2019. Um, we did a, a big photo essay in the New York Times where we were able to actually include reporting from 2020 as well. And there's, there is an update on how the family is doing sort of an epilogue uh, to the film. Now, uh,
0: we're expecting that everybody's watching has seen the film, so I'm apolog- apologies if I do let slip some spoilers or Leslie and Catherine do it as well. But for instance, I mean, obviously, halfway through the film, there what happens to Joey? I mean, you must have also, by that, man, been so emotionally invested in the story that, you know, as, as another journalist, I know how difficult that must have been for you to, to carry on with it, was it?
2: Yeah, that, that um, Joey's death, the accident, um, it was, it, I mean, I think for us, we were trying really hard to be professional and to do our jobs and um, to do a good job continuing to tell this family story, which they wanted us to do, but um, it, it was devastating. We were lucky to have each other there, I think. I, I, I think going to cover that by yourself Um, would have been extremely uh, hard, if not impossible. Um, Yeah, Joey meant a lot to us. And he was a wonderful person. He was just a true joy to spend time with and to be around. Um, So even like, after the initial shock and sadness and anguish of the, the first trips after he died, there was still that emptiness in the family's house and in their lives that we, we had to report on, and that I think we felt very much ourselves, and it, it, yeah, it was really hard. Um, yeah, and to figure out what it all meant, you know, like that wasn't the, that wasn't the story we were telling, we didn't, we had to restructure what we were doing, and ultimately everything did come together, and obviously Isaac found a lot of meaning in Joey's death, which sent him down a certain path, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, narratively, it was very hard, but emotionally, it was just, it was terrible.
0: Sure. We've got um, a couple more questions. Um, anonymous, again, did the narrative on your goal change at all as you were filming?
1: Yeah, just a little bit like like Leslie um, was starting to mention. We, uh, I mean, Joey's death was, was, you know, this just tragic, devastating shock. So we were just sort of on um, some degree of autopilot. I mean, at first it was just like, this is happening. Oh my God, we're telling this family story. This is what's happening to them, we're gonna film. Um, but as the you know months went by, it was like, okay, well, we didn't set out to make a movie about a, a, a family that lost their child. Like that wasn't our goal here. And so what does this even mean? And so in terms of our film, what does this mean? And so we wrestled with that a lot and we talked about that a lot. And um, And Isaac really, you know, because Isaac just found so much, was so inspired by Joey to enlist, um, obviously that brought it back together. But in terms of editing, like, you know, there was so much very emotional footage that I mean, it's like the tip of the iceberg what you see in the film. You know what I mean? There was there is so much incredible, um devastating and um almost, I mean, it, it was really hard for Leslie and I even to we didn't we didn't look at it for months. Um, But you know, it could have it could have really derailed the film, I think. And so we had to have a lot of discipline in saying, like, this is our story, and we're going to use this very sparingly. I mean, compared to how it could be used, um, to really keep the story on track. But that really, it was time that also revealed that. I feel like that's been that's like the secret—not the secret, the the not so secret factor in this film is just like that time reveals. And if you can, I mean, what a. Um, we were just so lucky, you know, to be able to stick with this family for so long and, and um, what you learn over that time the, the story just can kind of, it, it, there's just nothing like time. As a journalist, we never have time, right? We're always just like, get it done, get it done, get it done. And then to be able to work on something like this and see what you can learn and show. It's, it's, it's astonishing.
0: I'll just come to another question in a moment but you just touched on Isaac there and I think Isaac really touched my heart for sure and there's just this moment in the film where he and his dad are having the exchange before he goes into service and you know he's and the dad says you're going remember you're only doing this for yourself. And for Joey. <laughs> and that's so, um, you know, that's probably not necessarily the best reason <laughs> to go and do it for somebody else. Um, what did you think at that point and the way that um, Isaac's dad and also Maria very kindly were saying to Isaac, you can't go to college, you know, you, you won't go to college.
2: That That point in the film when Isaac was leaving for basic training and Brian said that, I just remember, watching that and thinking wow like i mean i think brian had the best of intentions in what he was saying but you know isaac was leaving home with such a weight on his shoulders of what he was supposed to prove not just in his service and, and in the um you know the normal acts of becoming a man but in doing it in the name of his brother who he saw himself in the shadow of even though it was his younger brother um i just thought it, oh, that was that was rough to see, and and I. That plus the conversation that Brian had with Isaac in the truck, I think it's, it's interesting what it says about the family, but it's even more interesting what it says about our culture and society and our economic opportunities here in the States. Because Brian really did want what was best for his son and he saw the opportunities that were available to him. He knew he'd been having a difficult time in school and he didn't know how to help him. Isaac was a very smart kid actually. He did really well in school when he was little. But he had trouble focusing. He didn't have the structures in place that motivated him in that direction. So then the, the, the options that were available to him were work at the, the power plant. Um, that would be the best option, but they were laying off there. work at you know Walmart or, or a fast food. Or, you know he didn't have um, there weren't paths for him. Like Brian knew there was a path for him if he joined the military. He knew that he would be able to go to work every day and advance. And he knew that he would make more money as he went along. Um, And he knew it would teach him things at least at a minimum about discipline and um, try to get him on track with being more focused. So I think that um, what we felt or thought in those moments was actually more powerful when you kind of Took it outside the family and to all the families that um, you know go go into the military because it's a really good option for a job here. It's actually it pays well. It it has security. It has camaraderie, which is something that we've talked about a lot. I and mean, when you were asking about manhood earlier. So there is this thing that happens when these soldiers leave where they had friends built in, you know, and especially as men here, I, you know, my, my female friends and I, we are always picking up new girlfriends, but my male friends in the US have a hard time, like knowing what it means to have a friend, knowing how to find that. But when you're in the military, not only do you have um, just people that are your age, that are at your same position in life around you. Um, But you have people with this common core sense of values that give you camaraderie. And then when you leave, of course, that, that can be really hard to lose.
0: Thank you for that. So that brings me on to the question from Dion. Uh, Sorry Dion, if I'm mispronouncing your name, Uh, how's the family doing? uh, Dion asks, has anyone told these boys that the army will send them to college?
1: They do know that. Um, they, they do know that. And, you know, because Brian has a purple heart, um, uh, yeah, they, they, they would, they would not have a problem. College would be paid for. Um, they're doing okay. You know, I think, um, Brian is a little bit swept up in, in the aftermath of this film coming out and he's, um, you know fielding a lot of uh emails and notes and um things like that i think um he and maria are doing well um isaac too i mean they're all a little swept up in the in the film coming out um and you know just before that they were they were doing okay you know like um isaac um will, will give you a spoiler that if you um The the epilogue, we'll we'll tell you what the epilogue is in the New York Times, so you don't have to go read it. Although, of course, we would invite you to. Um, But basically, Isaac ended up um, having to leave the military, actually, Um, after we were done filming and picture locked. um, His depression really got in the way for him and he didn't show up for work too many times and he got warnings that he did not heed. Um, that he, he couldn't pull it together. And in the end, he had to take a discharge. So he was terrified as to what Brian would do. Brian, though, um, drove it as the country was shutting down because of COVID. Brian actually drove from the, the, the Brian and Maria and Jordan and Jackson have moved to Wisconsin to be closer to Brian's family. So they actually Brian drove all the way to Fort Bragg to pick Isaac up and to move him home. And he got him a job at a plastics factory near their uh, new home in Wisconsin. And um, he's working the night shift at a, at a plastics factory. He stayed, he, he, he lived at home for a little while. Um, and I actually don't think Brian charged him rent after all that, right Les? There's been no indication that Brian actually charged him rent when he was home.
2: I think Brian helped him.
1: Yes. I- so oh. it was all, it was a, a lot of bark, not as much bite. But from Brian. But um but now now Isaac has just gotten his own apartment and you know he's kind of figuring it out. He still talks a lot about reenlisting. Like that is still when he gets unsure and a little overwhelmed, he immediately goes back to, well, I can reenlist because, you know, even though I was, even though I got a general discharge, which is not an you know, it's not the best kind of discharge you can get, but it's not the worst, um, you know, that his commander told him that he could reenlist. And so he still like finds meaning in that.
0: And is he, is he feeling better quickly because he's such a, yeah, I hope he is feeling better.
2: Um, I think it's, it's hard to tell with Isaac. Um, and I think it's hard to tell with young people Isaac's age. Um, I, I was, answering this question recently for for someone I know and I said he responds a lot to questions about his well-being with emojis and that's such a 2020 response to trauma. (laughs) You know like I'm great and and so many smiley faces that actually right at this moment he seems to be doing better than he has and um, I think that like Kat said he does take a lot of solace not just in being able to re-enlist in the military but Isaac was enlisted in a Uh, a job that was unlikely to deploy unlikely to see combat and so he if he re-enlists he really would like to re-enlist in a combat job um so he's okay he's okay for now but still figuring things out
0: sure of course ah we just might have temporarily might have lost Catherine. um to everyone she did warn that a tropical storm was heading in new york's direction um so i hope she's all right um hopefully i'm sure she'll come back on the line if she can leslie for now <laughs> it's us <laughs> <So> <laughs> we, can, we can carry on talking there's a question from alexandra uh look at me peering at the screen i think it's definitely time for me to get glasses uh were there any times in the family or members of the family wanted to stop filming or leave the film entirely how did you keep the trust and stay in touch for so long
2: so i think um i'll answer the the last one first first one last but um i think that the investment of being there for the family's lives when things were good or normal or just you know what they might consider boring i often think that the most interesting things in people's lives are the things that they think are boring so that's always something you come up against when you're documenting someone new um i'll say like could I actually come film you when you're, you know, milking your cows or, you know, and they're like, that's the most boring part of my day. I'm like, oh no, it's like, that's, that is, that is life. And I think that investing time and being there for that stuff, which a lot of it didn't make it into the film. um, But understanding them in a really complete way helped gain, you know, trust between us and them and also not filming all the time when I was there. Like, Um, I'm I'm, so I I shot most of the film we had a couple of really brilliant cinematographers that worked on the film in the beginning and throughout, Um, but I think that there are moments when I'll just roll and roll and roll and and I certainly always try to like fall back into the background and not be um, not take up too much space. Um, But to be there and to have my camera, but not be filming, I think was helpful for the long-term access. And then in terms of moments when anyone wanted to stop filming, I think Maria was the one that struggled the most because um, not only Maria, but Jordan, her son is actually a very private person. And I adore her son. He's lovely. And I loved talking to him, but he's very shy. Um, he did, he was able to forget about the cameras, but you know, she's a protective mom, and um, she just, I think, always felt a little bit more um, in a spotlight in their community. People would always ask, like, why do you have cameras at your kid's baseball game, you know, and so at a certain point, I think Maria was ready to wrap up, and especially after Isaac left and Jackson was born, we had these couple things that I'm sure when Jackson was born, they were like, okay, there's your ending. Let us know when you're done, like, we'd love to see it but we didn't want to end on that it just didn't feel it felt too tied up too too easy Um, and so after Jackson was born also Maria struggled I think after Jackson was born with being a new parent like I can imagine anyone does Um, so I would say that was the answer to that question
0: welcome back to Catherine good to see you back we thought the story Got you there. <laughs> the
1: lights all went out. That's exactly what happened. It was just like no lights and my internet disconnected and I got on my personal hotspot, but I think things are, hopefully it'll work out.
0: Okay, well it's, great. it's great to have you back. We've actually just got another question for Leslie specifically um, from Martin. Uh, Martin says, Leslie, you've shot many of the scenes of the family very beautifully. How did you balance directing some of those scenes for a cinematic look with capturing actuality? and how much time did you spend filming with the family? I guess you guys have kind of answered that. I think you had about 300 hours of filming or something by the end, but Leslie, take it away, please.
2: Well, I think it's a really interesting question. I know when when I first went from being a journalist and like, you know, documentary journalist to directing, um, I was like, what does a director do in a documentary? Because we don't tell people what to do. That is not our MO. So I think for both Kat and I, the directing part was just deciding what to focus on. And and not just in the editing of the film, which was a huge exercise in restraint, but also in shooting the film, it was, it was really the act of deciding where to point the camera. Um, and then in terms of shooting, um, I, it's funny, like, I don't really consider myself a really very good shooter. <laughs> um, I like I like being with people and I like photographs and, um, and I love film, but I'm not, you know, some of the other people that shot on this film, especially early on, um, Damon Winter shot in Afghanistan. So all that footage is from a photographer at the New York Times. He has just this unbelievable breathtaking eye. Um, but the shooting, I feel like I went from prioritizing creating these photographs with the family to really prioritizing the action of the scenes. So that um, I think where my priority priority coming from a very visual background, um, it was always story, but in this case, story really took more and more precedent over time. So that is kind of the combination of cinematography and directing is just, uh, you know what you need in the edit. So I think thinking like an editor was really helpful in both deciding what to shoot and also thinking about what was the most important place to put the camera.
0: And, Katrin, how personally satisfying has it been for you, as a journalist, to, to accomplish this documentary?
1: Oh, it's, it's, it's so rewarding. I mean, it's, again, just the, how revealing time was, and being able to tell a story at this scale, is, is just, um, you know, something that I've never experienced before. And, you know, I thought I was going to be an anthropologist originally, like, in college. Um, So they certainly go deep. I think it's always been in my bones to want to go deep and to and to tell stories in a very deep way, um, and make it a little bit more like field work than you know a parachuting in as a journalist. I mean, it's just such a limiting thing, and we have to do it sometimes as journalists. Um, But um, we have all these blind spots that we just can't. There's just there's nothing. You you know you try your best, but um, but to be able to really go deep on a story like this was was just incredible. And, and, you know, back to the question um, that Leslie just answered, like, you know, uh, sometimes, um, so Leslie, when she was in the field by herself is like this, like MacGyver, right? She's got like her, cause she's all alone. And so she's like running her audio and she's like trying to do that. And she's shooting and she's trying to do that. And she's lugging all this stuff around, but the payoff is that you know? There's just one person there, like huddled in the back of a car, like letting a scene unfold, and so there's an intimacy that was um, granted. And you know, when we were in the field together during the Verite stuff, like I would just always be like stuck behind her, but you know, running audio. So then there was someone else who she, she wasn't having to do everything. Um, so uh, it was really an exercise in um, avoiding eye contact, you know. And even though there were two of us, like just being as in the background as possible.
0: Yes, that sounds like video journalism <laughs> to, to me as well, yes, for, for sure. Just, just a reminder, everybody, to, to get your questions in before we have to end the Q&A session. We have got still a little while to go, but please do get your questions in. That would be lovely. Uh, I wanted to ask really as well, um, do you think Brian has benefited from this documentary, I don't know which one of you would like to to take that one. But as you say, he's become a bit of a a little superstar from the uh, from the release of the film. Of course, a lot more people know his name. I'm
2: sure we will both have thoughts on this question. Um, I I think that we're always so apprehensive to say like you know, there's this self aggrandizing thing. I think sometimes when you tell someone's story, like I shared someone's story, and we really stay away from that, because they shared their story with us. And um, that was such a gift from them to us. I think that um, in one in one way that I that I feel pretty confident about Brian has benefited in that. um, In our most recent interview with him, he used the word trauma, I think for the first time in 10 years, and acknowledged the struggle that his boys had been through. And, you know, Kat and I, as journalists, we never want to impact the situation. You never want to affect what's going on or cause things to be different than they would have been if you weren't there. Um, So we have to like ask ourselves questions about, you know, if we use those quotes, do we have to contextualize them with the fact that he's now seen the film? Um, Because I think to see the film is to see like a condensed version of what his boys went through when they were kids and how that translated to their emotions as teenagers and then their emotions and actions, you know, in Isaac's case, becoming an adult. Um, So it depends on your definition of better. uh, But I think in that sense, it, it helped Brian in a way. Um, I don't know if getting attention on the internet ever makes anyone's life better. I'm not sure. So in regards to that, I'm not sure. Kat, what do you think?
1: I mean it's so soon after, right? I I guess we're we're all going to see how this plays out, but um I think if he were here he would say absolutely, you know, he's really enjoying his his moment. Um and it was interesting that he used that word, you know, that he said that his boys had had experienced trauma when he was deployed. Because, you know, as Les was saying, until then he had always, oh no, it made him tougher. This was good for them. I've got some really strong boys, right? That was always his line. And for the first time, um, he said it differently. And and as Les was saying, you know, we were we were working on this New York Times epilogue, and we we had to we didn't end up using that quote because it felt like would he have said that if he hadn't watched the documentary, you know, six times? Um, they've watched it several times.
0: <laughs> yeah. but In terms of trauma too, I mean, Brian's trauma, and I guess maybe the film does give that perspective, but Brian's trauma as well as his kid's trauma. You know, he's, he was on a, a military family. He lost his leg. You know, this is all about his trauma as well.
1: Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and you know, when we did, when I was off because of the electricity, did, Les, did you tell what happened when we showed them the first time? Oh, we showed them the film. So there was, it's this, it's this kind of astonishing thing. I think like we, you know, we flew down to show it to them. um, And we were terrified, of course, and um, They laughed, they wept. um, And at the very end, you know, I think the thing that I had been most scared about was was Brian listening to Maria say the things she says at the end you know he doesn't feel manly he doesn't feel masculine enough and I thought oh my god he has to hear his wife saying this like you know Leslie and I were clutching each other and and it ended and there was like a beat and he goes it's true I am still struggling with this I am still figuring it out it's true and you know it was just like god bless you Brian like that's so brave like he's so brave to um put his vulnerabilities out there and to be really emotionally honest, despite all, it's, it's, it's such a strange juxtaposition, right? Because he tries so hard to be tough and to put on this tough face to the point that Maria's quote actually says, don't let Brian fool you. He's not okay. He's not doing good. Um, but yet when he sees that, he finds meaning in that. And I really think that people want other people to understand their pain. Right, like that's a very basic thing about humans. We want other people to understand our pain. And, and I think that um, he really got a lot out of that. And, and obviously we did, By, by as, as Les was saying, you know, the fact that they shared their story so openly with us.
0: Mm. Of course, lots of women behind the camera, but really Maria is the female influence of the, of the documentary. I mean, how, how, is she, how is she, you mentioned that she was more worried, at, about her privacy possibly than the, than the guys. But uh, in terms of what's happened in Brian's life that has been good, would you say that Maria has been the defiant, you know, in a way really saved him?
2: Maria was really the glue for the family, you know, in a lot of ways uh, regarding Brian's amputation and the recovery from that. Because as you see in the film, she's very, kind and patient she also doesn't put up with a lot you know she she's a keep going kind of person as well and so um i she was great for brian she was really great for the boys to have somebody in their lives to give them that um maternal stability and yeah it was really nice to see i i think the last scenes that i had seen you know um from the early footage in 2011 was uh, when Brian was back and forth drum and there were, it was such a bachelor pad, you know, and he was making them egos for breakfast and frozen, there's frozen pizza for dinner. And he committed not to do that, but there it is. And, you know, football players uh, cut outs on the walls. And um, like, he was doing his best. And it was probably a boy's dream in many ways. But, um, you know, I think when Kat showed up in 2011, 2010, even, the boys were just drawn to women and they wanted to, you know, they just longed for that warmth. Um, and so Maria definitely brought that into their lives. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you think that with the emphasis on mental health now, do you think that this, the, the very masculine idea that you don't talk about your feelings, that in order to be a man, you just get on with it and you just get on with your life, which is so visibly laid bare? In, in, in this documentary, you know, not in a not in a condemning way or anything, but it, but it is there, that
1: attitude. Do you think that's going to change over time in the military? it is already changing to some degree in the military. So um, they certainly have, I mean, look, they have like huge suicide problem. And so, you know, there's behavioral health and there's, but it's like, even as it's changing, it's like, it shows how far there is to go because, you know, there's this whole idea that this is the new soft army. So people who have been in the army a long time are very, you know, the older generation are very critical of this sort of like snowflake soft army. Um, So I think there's some tension there. And, you know, I mean, I have a daughter and a son. My my boy is eight and my girl is six. And um, it's astonishing to me how um, prevalent some of these gender roles are and just how they are like, um, you know, they like absorb them like air or something like they just absorb them. Um, because certainly my son has never heard from me that it's not okay to cry. Right. But um, it does seem like my daughter has an easier time expressing her emotions. And so then you just ask, what is that about?
0: Leslie, how difficult will it be for you to break contact with this family over time, I guess? Well, actually, particularly for you, Katrin, because you have been involved for even longer, for 10 years, and you're We're both
1: for 10 years. <laughs> we both care so deeply about this family. I don't think we'll, I, Les, I want you to answer, but like, I, I, I don't, I mean, we're we're in touch with them all the time I and mean, we're texting with them and chatting with them. And But but Les, what do you think?
2: I mean, until they get tired of us, we're going to stay in touch with them. So I don't, I, it's weird. I mean, that is something that happens. And, um, you know, sometimes it's devastating when you ha- lose to your subjects, not because you want to, but because you're busy and you're mm-hmm. on to the next assignment and you, you're just inundated with work. Um, but they they have been in our lives, in our communications, on our minds, in the background of so much work for such a long time. So yeah, unless they like, you know, give us the boot from their text chains or whatever, we'll we'll be, we'll continue to stay in touch, I think.
0: We're just down to our last couple of questions now. So if you really do have it, if you're watching and you do have one last question, then get it in right away and I will ask it. But I wanted to ask, of course, that the film is out on Netflix since, July the 17th, as we we mentioned before, Uh, what does it mean that so many people can watch this film so easily? (laughs) Especially when possibly in March, we might've thought that, you know, it was going to be a lot more difficult to to watch films.
1: Well, we're certainly grateful that we were done with production before this whole thing hit and certainly feel so much for the filmmakers who've had to halt production and um, are dealing with all those issues. Uh, So yeah, I mean, it i the thing that i think has been the most um just how wide reaching netflix is the number of languages that they translate a film into and hearing from people you know all over the world who are watching this film is really moving and um and and i think for us it's really exciting to sh- this film is so much about you know america and a certain kind of american man and um I think for the I think that like Americans need to watch it, but for the world to understand um, this strange country of ours, uh, um, you know, I, I hopefully, like I, I, it's really moving to me that like that 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 we that, that Netflix offers a platform that's that that allows for that global reach.
0: Yes, you're so, you're so right. Uh, Alexandra's um, asked a question, Leslie. Maybe you'd like to answer it. Uh, what do you hope audiences take away from watching the film?
2: Um, you know, I think that we hope that the film will speak to people that understand the subject matter and to people that don't understand the subject matter and give people a better understanding of one another and what people go through. Um, we hope that it will raise awareness about what the children of the service members who have deployed to Afghanistan over the course of the past 19 years go through, as well as the service members. Um, and also just raise awareness about the fact that there has been a war going on in this country for nearly two decades. Um, And that's not by mistake that in the film, you know, if you feel that it's in the background of these people's lives, because in the US, this war is in the background of most people's lives. While in Afghanistan, it is, you know, a very real uh, thing that people are experiencing. And um, certainly within nuclear families that have loved ones deployed, and for those who are serving, it's it's greatly impactful and has lasting
0: effects. It's an extraordinary human portrait with a background of war. You know, that's the the thing is that you you do forget uh, sometimes about the military aspect of it because you're so wrapped up in its humanity. So I think, yeah, congratulations on that. We do have one more question actually um, from SJ what are the biggest lessons you've learned from putting together this film? I think you can both answer from a personal point of view briefly.
1: Yeah, it's there are so many, it's hard to like, it's hard to choose, honestly. and there's sort of like life, there's a way that to answer about like, how, what have I learned in terms of life lessons? What have I learned in terms of filmmaking? So much, so much. I mean, just the edit, like we got to, a lot of this project, I think Les and I would agree, right? Les, that like, it was like, this was a side thing that we did as we did other, we, we, all, we had other assignments that were publishing. Like this was just something that we kept going back to kind of on the side. It was like our little baby project that we did on the side for many years. That didn't feel so different from our regular jobs. But after we um, went to Netflix, we, we were able to kind of um, uh, take, not a leave, but it was it essentially felt like a leave from the New York Times and go. And um, we worked at a little production house called The Documentary Group, which is just wonderful in, in Chelsea, in New York. And, um, and we got to just sit there and work on the edit for you know, almost a year and it was just, such, there's the, the storytelling and, and working, telling, you know, I work in, in narrative in all, you know, and I started in public radio and then, you know, and then I did a lot of print and then I got more interested in visual stuff. And so you know, there's these, there's these narrative rules that apply across these media, but I had never worked at something on this scale for, you know, an hour and 40 minutes and, and the pacing and the, on the you know, revealing details. And we worked with this brilliant editor named Amy Foote and like, you know, we all just loved each other. And um, it was such a great experience. I think that's where I learned so much about the craft. And Leslie made me learn how to shoot. That's another She made me take a video, <laughs> so I, I do, so <laughs> I really wanted to shoot and she knew it because I just wanted to, you know, I can't be there just like behind her. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like if, if there's a Veritas scene, I want to be of, as most help as I can, right? And so then I did start shooting, um, but I, I never got very good at that. Even She says that we used some of my footage and apparently we did. I don't think it was much.
2: Yeah, Kat doesn't. She, doesn't hide her curiosity well, and I could tell she was curious about the, every aspect of, you know, being the person with the camera. Like the way that the the um, arrangement of a scene, the feeling of like a weight in a scene, like what's on this side, what's on that side. So it was great, and she did a wonderful job. And we did use some of her footage. We definitely did. Um, but then to to the to the question of um, what I learned, um, I learned a lot about, you know, I think that I've spent a lot of time in my life um, thinking about what it means to be a girl and what it means to be a woman. And there has been a conversation around empowering girls and women um, throughout my entire life. You know, I, I think that I got to live through an era where we were asking the question a lot of how do we make girls feel strong and powerful? And there's still a lot of work to be done there, but I um, I grew up with a mom and a sister, and I didn't have, I had a grandfather, but I didn't have a lot of exposure to boys and men in a thoughtful way, and even just before we worked on the story about the Aishas, I would hear Catherine talk about her son and the things he was naturally drawn to, and, you know, it, she she would have given him a fairy wand and, and a baking set so easily, so so effortlessly, but he wanted the truck, and he wanted to look at the construction out the window when they were driving, and And then when we were following the Aishas, I learned so much about what it means to be a boy and that the very unique struggles that boys face that I think are just as hard and just as worth talking about and parsing through. Uh, Everyone has their own um, struggle that they have to go through when they're young. and um, So to see what Joey and Isaac went through and then to see the way that Brian turned out, any criticisms that a person could have about Brian and his parenting, you just have to think, well, he was Joey like two decades ago, you know, he so recently went through these same things himself and probably in an exacerbated way because he wasn't part of the soft army. He was part of the army that told you to toughen up and like pull it together and get in line. And um, so I learned a lot about manhood and boyhood. Mm.
0: Thank you. Uh, Quick, actually, Leslie, uh, for you, uh, what camera did you use? Question from Dionne.
2: What camera didn't we use? We used so many cameras. (laughs) Um, This film started on a 5D Mark II um, with the two cinematographers who worked on the project in 2010 and 2011, Marcus Yam and Damon Winner. And then um, I worked on a Mark III and a Mark IV, but also a C100 and a C300. At some point we had a Sony thrown in, we used an iPhone once. Um, it, we worked a, We worked with a myriad of cameras and it that was really hard for me as we moved along with the edit to look back at that footage and it feels less professional. But I do, like one of the things that I think we all loved about it, me and Kat and Amy, is that it does feel like you're just in their family. And so to hear people giving feedback that it feels like home videos has been really nice because in a way these are videos you could shoot at home. They're, they're, the beginning of the film especially is very, it's consumer grade. Um, so that, those are
0: the cameras we use. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Catherine, uh, um, will you want to make more documentaries? <laughs> I
1: do. I mean, how can like, uh, I mean, how can you turn away from this? I mean, I feel uh, like this audience, um, I, I feel like, um, how can I leave this, this world of yours? Um, I'm very, very interested in um, climate change and the extinction crisis. And so I have asked for and received a job on the Climate Desk at the Times, although um, covering wildlife and extinction, not just related to climate change, but um, more broadly, um, because that's, so I have to figure out um, how those two things can, can intersect, perhaps. The, the cool thing is that the New York Times now has a whole sort of branch and yeah. is really in this space in a whole new way. And so, you know, in the beginning when Les and I, you know, we're talking about wanting to make it a feature film that was, between us, that was a little bit hard in the beginning. Like that wasn't something that had done. And then when, you know, as, as the, the New York Times business um, sort of side was happening tangentially, and at some point we realized that, and then all of a sudden the doors opened, if that makes sense. So we were sort of like trying to do it, trying to do it. And then all of a sudden, Sam Dolnick um, was open. Was starting all this off-platform um, opportunities. And so then it was, it was really easy then to go to Netflix.
0: And Leslie, for yourself as well, more documentaries?
2: Yeah, I definitely want to keep making films. And I don't doubt for a second that Katrin will too. Um, but yeah, I, I think that um, it's just such an important way to let people have space to tell their stories and to learn about people in a very visceral um, way. And certainly having partners like Netflix where you can share that with the world. Um, Yeah, definitely want to keep making films and documentaries.
0: Well, congratulations to you both. And gosh, it's been such a pleasure. Um, We've now nearly spent an hour together. So I'm afraid I'm going to bring this Q&A to a close. Thank you to BAFTA, and thank you, Catherine, and thank you, Leslie, and just a reminder um, that I'm assuming that everyone's watching has, has watched the film, Father Soldier Son, on Netflix, but do tell your friends and colleagues, because I know that I will be um, just to tell them just to watch. It is extraordinary. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank
1: you so much, BAFTA. We're so honoured to be here. Thank you so much.